Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, episode 46, Mission Whitetail. We've got our good buddy Adam Hayes from Ohio back. We're going to do a rapid fire question with Adam Hayes today. So he's in the hot seat. Um, Adam, yeah, what's what's happening, man? Let's do a season update, get everybody up to speed. I hunted this morning um, and came straight from the woods to here, and I should still be in the woods. Uh, we had a 24 degrees this morning. And I did not see a deer. And when I got out, I, I left the woods at 10 and got here at 1030. I'm pretty close to my office. And um, now all my cameras are blowing up, bucks chasing does, and I should still be there. But that's okay. Duty calls at any time you get the opportunity to sit down with Adam Hayes and do whatever <laughs> it takes to do that. Yeah, I hear you. Is there like a second rut there going on? We have so many does, like in this, we, our, our buck doe ratio is so screwed up. I, I wouldn't doubt that it's not 10 to one. So oh, we, really? we get scrapes, but we get very few rubs, very few buck fights. There's just so, I actually watched a two-year-old, I could see in the edge of a food plot. And I was looking at a four-year-old 10 point that I know very well. Um, he was walking down a ditch bank and there was a two-year-old breeding a doe out in a food plot that I could see. And the 10 point just watched it and kept right on walking. He, really? Anywhere else, if you'd been in Kansas or anywhere else, he'd have run out there and knocked that buck off and taken that doe. He was either tired of breeding or just didn't care or was going to find another doe. So what happens, so many of these does don't get bred that the rut just goes and goes and goes and goes. We'll have spotted fawns in September, and we'll have spotted fawns in July. It's nuts. Ten to one. I, I, that's my guess. I, I don't yeah. know. Some uh, South Carolina biologist is going to call me and tell me I'm an idiot, but it's got to be close to that. Those are the kind of odds I used to look for when I was trolling. <laughs> Those were the odds you needed, Hayes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm all about stacking the deck in my favor, so I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I look for situations where it's 10 to 1 for sure. Oh, yeah, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> uh oh, man, yeah, if I had to get back in the game, I might need 20 to 1. <laughs> yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be an understatement for me. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to go that route. I'm happy right where I am. Yeah, things just came to a screeching halt here last night. Um, we went from you know highs in the 30s to highs in the 50s yesterday and i was seeing you know 20 some deer a night and then last night was one of the slowest nights i had i mean everything just shut right down and it's going to be 50 today 50 tomorrow um we got a two-day gun season this weekend so that's probably not going to help things so i'm probably going to uh i'm actually probably going to go down south tomorrow 
and try to fill a couple doe tags and just oh, kind of leave the home farm rest this weekend. I don't want to push anything out of here and hopefully, you know, a couple deer that I've been watching make it through this weekend. And we got some really good weather coming um, Sunday. We got a big front, high winds, rain, big temperature drop, and then everything kind of blows out on uh, Monday and Tuesday and it gets really cold again. So I'm kind of banking on, I think Tuesday is the last day of the red moon right now. Yep. So, you know, the weather pattern and the, um, the moon, the cold weather coming back around. That's kind of what I'm thinking right now. Yep. So I actually did my last hunt in South Carolina this morning. Now this isn't going to air. Oh. This one won't air for a couple weeks. Um, but, but I did my, my, um, my last hunt this morning. I, Jack and I go to Mexico, back to Mexico on Sunday. Um, it's kind of a father son trip. I got my roommate from college going with his three boys and his dad, and then me and Jack are going. So it's going to be a, a fun trip. Um, same place we, you just went to. Yeah. Same place. Yeah I, yeah. I did shoot that good one down there, man. It, he ended up being better than I thought he was one sixty and six eights. Oh wow! Um, definitely the biggest one I've killed in Mexico. Uh, yeah, really, yeah, heck of a heck. He was an old deer, big bodied, big Roman nose, real mature, chocolate horns. I mean, everything. Couple couple inches of extra stuff on his brow tines and a kicker. So, yeah, it looked like a beautiful buck. Yeah, I was tickled to get him. But yes, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go back there and hunt until Friday, and then let's see. That's the, or, or we're gonna. Hunt to the 22nd. I think that's Friday. And then Saturday, got a family Christmas trip. So I'll be out of town for that with the whole family. And then when I get back from there, our season will be over in South Carolina. So unless the Miles Buck shows up in Ohio, th this this Mexico trip could be my my last hoorah. So I sent you a picture of the Miles Buck last night. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> All 110 inches of him. That, that was the South. You you came down here and stole one of my South Carolina deer and took it to Ohio. That's a Ohio River swamp buck. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Oh man, yeah, that uh, the old lease um died you know just one of those years nothing nothing came in there but in the past that place has been great oh yeah i mean i killed a 180 inch deer there just a few years ago and i chased a 200 inch buck well he wasn't 200 inches every year i i watched him and let him go for i think four seasons and he finally got to that point where i thought he was at 200 inches and that was the year one of the neighbors decided to buy this great dane and let it run loose and i had that that buck or that buck that dog on camera more than that big deer and he ran that buck out of there and he got killed somewhere because he he's oh. never been back and yeah he was a homebody i mean that deer never went anywhere and that dog ruined um, so there's been great deer there it just i i kind of thought in the back of my mind this might happen this year because they took the whole farm out of crop rotation, put it in the CRP, and the only food in there are the feeders and a couple of small food plots. So, you know, it looks better than ever, like I was telling you. I mean, the CRP is just, you know, four foot tall and cover everywhere. But um, 
Yeah, I don't know. We're going to give it one more year, like I said, and see what happens. But it's a great area. Just that big change didn't help things this year. Yeah, food. It went, yeah. went too far the other way, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, for this year. But, um, I mean, I've always been, been a big fan of having better cover and more cover than your neighbor to be able to hold the big deer. And I kind of think, you know, in the long run, this will probably be the best thing because I hear it, I hear it all the time talking to guys. I'm, I was just talking to Adam Crummer the other day about it. And he is kind of transitioned to, to where he's going for more cover, putting more, taking more of his stuff out of um, food plots and putting it in prairie grass type CRP cover and kind of, um, you know, flipping the table because he says the same thing that I've said for a long time. You start managing these properties to, to death and creating this great habitat for deer, you know, with all this food and you start getting to the point where you're holding, you know, 95% of the deer herd, but not the 5% that you really want to hunt and kill, you know, because those big mature old animals don't want to be around you know, the entire herd most of the year. Yeah. So your neighbors end up killing them because they're on the outskirts of everything. And it's just, I think it's, you know, I think it's happening a lot these days. Guys are over managing their properties, creating these, you know, perfect deer paradises. And, you know, there's more does, more young bucks and the bigger ones just don't want to be around there. So. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked to Seymour when we had him on last, last time I asked him, I said, you know, you, you have being a guide and outfitter, you have probably interacted with more giant bucks than, you, you know, with all of his cameras, you know, all the years he's been outfitting all the properties he's managed. What is synonymous with, with all of them? Or if you were looking for the ideal piece, what would be the first thing that popped in your mind? And he said, CRP. DRP, yeah. That was the I first thing he said. That would yeah. be the the first thing he looked for. It seemed he said it seems like every big mature Boone and Crockett, you know, five year old or better, that they're they're associated some way with CRP. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I've hunted everywhere a guy can between Ohio and Alberta, and it never fails, no matter where I'm at. That's where you find the big deer. They feel comfortable hiding in that stuff. Yeah. I'm actually going to add like a um, like a quail strip of cover around everything here at my place because I've been sitting back here this year, you know, just kind of taking it all in and looking at what I've done so far. And I just, I get the feeling like it's almost like, a, I don't know, like an arena, you know, because I've just got, you know, my food plots surrounded by timber and it, it just feels so open when I'm back there. And I think I need some kind of transition, you know, around the edges to make these deer feel a little bit more comfortable to come out in the open. So I think, you know, I've got, you know, a big wide strip of imperial clover around the woods and everything. And I think I'm going to cut all that in half and, you know, plant the CRP and the prairie grass and create a, you know, like a quail strip around the edge just to add some more cover yep. to help help these deer break cover, you know, in the daylight, get them out in the open. I think, um, I think that's the only thing I'm missing right now. Yeah. Well, it's a honey hole. I mean, I've, I've seen it, man. That's a, that's a sexy spot. Yeah. Be really sexy if I could kill this buck I'm after right now. 
<laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> oh man, that would be good. All right, we so still got some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You got plenty of time. You you go all the way into uh into January first of February, don't you? First Saturday of February. Yeah, you got tons of time over a month. Yeah, that's plenty of time. All right, so the purpose of today's, or not the purpose, but what I wanted to do was do rapid fire questions to Adam Hayes. Sound good? Sure. All right. So the first question we got, if you could hunt only one state, which one would it be? Ohio. Ohio. And yeah. is that because you live there or because you just think out of everywhere you've hunted, um, it's the best? Both. Um, I think being able to be close, you know, to where you hunt makes a huge difference obviously and then um you know I, there's places that have more deer you know kansas iowa got probably got higher numbers than what we have but i don't think anybody has you know better deer than we do so you know there's been some there's been some world-class deer killed in the state this year just like every other year you know ohio's had more 300 inch deer killed than any other state i believe so i mean i think you know the genetics are here um maybe not the numbers but the high-end bucks so yeah and it's you know i'm kind of partial to the uh buckeyes buckeye state yeah yeah the old buckeyes <laughs> yeah uh we're not gonna go off on a football tangent okay <laughs> but i will be I, I am excited about the 12 team playoff next year i think um I do not think the four best teams are in the playoffs this year. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. I do not think it'll put an end to all the questions and crying and everything else. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it because in the, you, you thought the SEC won a bunch of national championships. Now that we got 12 teams, it'll probably be every single year. (laughs) Never know, man. You never know. All right. I told I said we weren't going off on a tangent. All right. As long as it's not Michigan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Well, Bama's got Michigan right out the gate. So that'll be, uh, that's going to be a good game. Bama plays Michigan. Bama or Georgia? uh, Georgia's out. Alabama beat Georgia. So it's it's Michigan, um, Washington, Texas, and Bama. So it's Alabama and Michigan? Alabama and Michigan. Game? Yes, sir. Is it really? New oh, Year's yeah. Day. What am I thinking? Because I texted you. I hope you guys crush Michigan. Yeah. yeah. My dementia is kicking in early today. You're focused on deer, brother. That's what you should be focused yeah. on, not football. All right, next question. Any hunt you really want to do, whitetail or other? Man, if I had my choice, you know of doing anything um versus going after a 200 inch deer i think i'd probably always take the deer you know yep that's just my thing so well take deer out of it what is there is there like a bucket list like dude if i could do one hunt what would it be yeah it was a sheep hunt but i mean it's just they've 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 just you know taken that out of the equation with the price increases i mean it's just ridiculous you can't 
touch your sheep hunt for under 40 grand anymore. Yeah, yeah, so. it's, it's it's nuts. Yeah. You know, three years ago, you could do Alaska, maybe not three, five years ago, you could do an Alaska doll sheep hunt for 15 to 18 grand, which is insane expensive. And I get yeah. that. But now that same place is 40,000 plus dollars. Yeah. For the same sheep. Yeah. That's just out of the, out of the cards for me now. Yeah, it's nuts. All right, next. What is your stance on th this? Is these are a couple um, hot topic questions that are kind of buzzing around on podcasts and, and the internet. Stance on bait. What do you think about bait? Well, as it stands right now, I think it's a necessary evil. You know, you have to do it because if you're not doing it. Your neighbors are doing it and they're going to pull your deer. So, um, yeah, I think it's a necessary evil. Um, I also think it plays a big part in, you know, the quality of our deer, though. I mean, when you're able to get these deer everything they need, you know, year round to keep them in better shape, you know, coming out of the rut, coming out of the winter. Um, there's definitely that aspect to it. That's a positive you know, they're, these deer are, are maintaining, you know, healthy body sizes, you know, by having the supplemental feeding. Um, it definitely helps as far as inventory goes, you know, you know, keeping an eye on, you know, what you have and, um, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses, you know, for both sides of it. I think it's kind of taken away from, you know, the hunting aspect of hunting, you know, and I, I find myself falling into the same trap. You know, you, you start counting on, you know, your, your bait and your feeders and, you know, everything to, um, and, and monitoring with cameras to tell you what's going on and you don't have to scout as much or as hard. So I think it's really taken away from the sport in that aspect. So I don't know, man. Like I said, I think there's good and bad aspects to it. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, Don talks about that and he, he's, he's with you. He's, he thinks that Ohio is the best state. And then if they ever did away with bait, it would be far the best state. Um, you know, it's a one buck state, pretty limited gun season. Um, <clears throat> and, and yeah, it, you know, but, but, I, I, I'm not going to speak for Don where, where his stance is on bait and supplemental feeding, but yeah, I, I get that. Um, and, and I get the, it, it, it becomes a, the next question is cell cameras, but it, you know, a lot of guys fall into the, put a set and we see that in South Carolina, you put a cell camera on bait and when he shows up in daylight, you go in the next afternoon or the next morning and chances are he's going to show back up again oversimplified but that that has changed things versus you know finding sign finding an edge finding a funnel and and putting hours and hours and hours into hunting um and scouting but anyway that, that's for everybody to each his own there um right on into cell cams what do you think about those <laughs> i love them <laughs> i mean i i've pretty much gotten rid of all my regular cameras and gone to all cell cameras just because it's, you know, it's, um, it's the only way that you can monitor, 
you know, real time. It's the only way that I can monitor bucks in other states um, and know, you know, when I need to be there and when I don't. Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of right there along the same lines as you know the baiting. There's pros and cons to it. Personally, you know, I I I love them. Um, <clears throat> from having to go in and out of the woods a lot too. Yeah, it really change does. Batteries and pull SD, or you still got to change batteries, but to pull SD cards and yeah, it it um, definitely saves on your you know impact on your deer. You know, as far as you know, pressure and leaving scent behind and all that. I mean, as long as they're legal, I'm going to keep using them. You know. Yep. All right, one more ethical question, and we'll get off of that. <clears throat> what about the drone stuff? You see guys flying drones and doing like quote unquote deer surveys, seeing where your deer are bedded. You know, they could fly over the CRP fields and actually see bucks bedded out there. They're using drones for deer recovery. Um, what what have you paid much attention to that? I mean, it, it's pretty unfreaking believable what these things can do. Yeah, these new thermal drones. Yes. Yeah, that's um, that's something else. I don't know. You know, technology's here and it's here to stay. And you know, I think there probably is a little bit of a fair chase aspect to that when you're actually using a drone to locate a buck that you're hunting. I have no problem with using them to locate deer that you've hit, but I mean, if you're going out and flying a drone over top of a crp field to locate a buck so you can slip in and try to kill him i'm i'm not good with that yeah that's that's, that's yeah i don't think that, i don't think that's fair <laughs> that's taking a next thing you know they'll be herding the deer to them <laughs> yeah are they gonna start mounting crossbows to the drone so you can shoot them too how dare you <laughs> i thought we were gonna get through a whole podcast without bringing up crossbows <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what I I'll I'll say one thing about crossbows and that's it you know if a guy wants to shoot a crossbow it's completely fine with me I'm all about you know guys getting out in the woods and and you know getting kids involved and I have nothing against crossbows other than the fact that I don't think they should be allowed to be used during you know the entire bow season because it's, it's not the same thing Shooting a crossbow and shooting a longbow, you know, a compound bow is not the same thing. It's easier. Nobody can argue that fact that it's not easier. You know, yeah. it is. It's a it's a gun shooting an arrow. And I think that, you know, longbow hunters, compound guys should have, you know, their own season that they can hunt before the crossbows are allowed. I mean, I'm not saying use crossbows only during gun season but like here in ohio i'd love to see you know september and october be bow season and then starting in november you can crossbow hunt and then you have your gun seasons i just yeah that's my honest opinion about it man i got nothing against it if a guy wants to use it fine but they're not the same they need to have separate seasons yeah i would even go a little further where the the longbow or the recurve guy gets his own special season because mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole different animal to the compound. And then the compound, you know, comes in and, and then the crossbow. Um, and, and then, you know, the, these seasons, and, and I, I'm certainly not a 
game warden in Ohio or anywhere else for that matter. But it seems like these seasons were all set years and years and years ago, and the seasons haven't changed based on the technology. Right. I mean, guys can guys can shoot deer with with a compound bow at sixty yards plus. You know, guys mm-hmm. are really good at it. Um, you know, guys could yeah, I've seen you do it. <laughs> I saw you shoot it a big eight point at sixty yards. Got him. And then uh, you know, these muzzle loaders now. I mean, four hundred yards driving tacks. It's just a different, it's a different world. Yeah, yeah. I put a smokeless barrel on my Thompson center and it's, it's, I haven't shot it this far, but it's supposedly it's a four or 500 yard gun now. So, I mean, it's a, it's a one shot rifle. Yeah. One shot rifle. So, so yeah, I I think there needs to be some, some consideration into the seasons and how they're set up. It, It would, it would help the quality of the herd. It would, it would, you know, it would help the quality of the herd. It would help the sport. Yeah, I think it would. I, th- I yeah. think it would help the sport. Yep, that's that's yeah. a good way to put it. All right, let's get off of that. Let's get back into let's get back into hunting. Um, let's see here. Uh, all right, so we're going to go the three phases of the season, and you don't you don't have to. You, you can you can be short short answered here on them because we could spend a whole podcast on each one of these. But how do you approach early season? Like what what are your what's your your key focuses right then early season? Just like late season, it's all about the food. All right, so yeah, let's lump those because that was another question. Early and late season, all about food. Yep. And are, are, do you try to do an ambush then, or do you try to have preset then, or what? What do you What do you do? Well, if I, you know, I always try to have things preset for early season, um, if I can. But I'm not afraid, you know, to do, you know, to do a hanging hunt then, because things are changing almost constantly during early season with the with the food. You know, you got the the beans that are green and then they change and the deer, you know, aren't hitting the beans as hard because the leaves have dried up. You know, when the, when the corn is popping, you know, they get on that. When the acorns are dropping, they get on that. When farmers are, you know, getting in the fields early and crops are coming down, they move to that. I mean, they're just constantly, you know, bouncing around and things are, seems like with food, things are changing more early season than late season. So it's it's hard to have you know a, you know sets pre-hung for every possible situation. So I like to you know like to be able to watch them all summer and you know hopefully you know have a you know ambush ready for the opener. But you know then you got to deal with the change of of shedding velvet. You know and the bucks that have been out in the beans every night all summer long. See that velvet change? They could just vanish and disappear on you. So yeah. Early season has got its, um, you know, its advantages, its, um, you know, the changes that are going on and difficulties, but still I, I love early season. Early yep. and, and, and <clears throat> late season, like right now, late season, we're getting into late season. You've got food there at your farm that you're, you're hunting and I'm sure you've already got preset stands ready to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, late season, it's all about the food, you know, nothing else. So, 
We got, you know, every possible thing I could have available to them to, to draw them and to hold them. And, you know, it's a little different though, late season here. You can't make any mistakes like you can get away with possibly early season. Mm-hmm. You know, deer have been pressured for three months and they're not the same animal. So not going to be getting away with marginal wins like you could possibly early season. And the deer, the deer are, you know, stacked up, you know, in certain spots, you know, like on my farm, I'm, I'm having to get past 20 deer before any of the, you know, bigger deer show up in the food. So yeah, it's uh, it's a different game late season. Lots of eyeballs and noses and circling yeah. around and yeah. And, and then once they do freak out, it becomes nighttime. And there's no cover, you know, there's no cover late season. It's, it's amazing where, you know, early season or in November, you know, you could be, a hundred yards from deer and get away with movement in the tree. But, you know, you can't get away with anything late season. They will. Yeah. And, you know, this is a time of the year where, you know, the, the Osseo really shines. I'm telling you, man, it, uh, I was, I had a stand that I've been hunting all year, right out on the edge of a plot. And, you know, once all the leaves came down, you know, I've had, I've had deer come by, you know, and look up at me and keep on going. And one of the better bucks I've got on the farm came by me the other night. And I mean, he looked up at me three different times and just flicked his tail and walked off. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if this was the big one with all these deer around me, I don't know if I could actually pull off getting a shot at him, you know? because of of the movement so you know it's december and i've got probably six stands on this farm but i actually went ahead and put up a new set um and i was only you know i'm only 25 30 feet from where i was before but i'm kind of back in the timber just a little bit instead of right out on the edge kind of back in the shadows and i just you know, the story you told me about seeing the owl with the osseo and all that, I just sitting up there, I just felt like, I kind of felt like an owl, you know, back in the, <laughs> the shadows. Wise, the wise old owl. Yeah, nothing could see me back in there. I, I was kind of messing around last night. I had you know, half a dozen deer out in the spots where, you know, where I think deer are going to be obviously feeding when a big one comes out. And I was actually able to get away with a little movement, you know, kind of, you know, reaching for my bow and just kind of testing the waters to see what I was going to be able to get away with. And yeah, just by moving 25 feet, just back off the edge of the field and just kind of tucking back into the shadows, I feel like it's going to make a huge difference when I finally get an opportunity. Yep. And, and that, you know, that goes into, we, uh, I think the last podcast we did, um, we had Heath Cisco was on because we were talking specifically about late season. And we were talking about what separates good hunters from, you know, great hunters. And, and one of the things that is unequivocally that all great hunters do is work ethic, right? You you could have left that stand right where it was and said, you know, it's fine. You know, it's, it's been here. They're used to it. You could have come up with 
50 different reasons to leave it right there. But you're constantly thinking about how to make things better and not afraid to break that thing down, move it just 20 feet and rehang it. And that's effort and work. And, and that's, that's what it takes. It's the, it's those little things that make the difference, man. When, when it comes to crunch time. Yep. The, yeah, attention little, to detail, attention details. to detail and work ethic. Yep. You know, you, you could have come up with a million reasons not to move that thing, but then that, that was a little detail and voila, it's paying off. Yeah. Like I said, man, nothing was picking me off. You know, I, I felt like I blended in perfectly with the surroundings. I, you know, I, I passed the test with mature, you know, buck coming right by me at 10 yards and looking at me a few times in the tree. And, you know, he just went on about his business. So I was getting away with, you know, with, with, with that stand. But like I said, I don't think I could have gotten away with the movement that I needed with 20 deer in the field if a big one showed up. So yeah, just tweaking that spot a little bit and it makes it even easier with the lone wolf, you know, custom gear stuff. It's easy to tear it down and move it. And that's, you know, you can't be afraid to to do that stuff. Cause like I said, and like you said, man, it's, it's all about the little details, mm-hmm. you know, without a doubt. All right. Next question. Um, let's just hit on this. We, we've talked about this a million times. Let's hit on it one more time. Uh, we talked early season, late season rut. Um, do you bounce around or do you kind of rot in one spot? In November, I think it's all about time in the stand, obviously more than any other time of the year. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, spend a bunch of time in a particular stand, you know, November is the time to do it. You know, it, it takes, um, it takes some experience not only hunting experience, but experience with the properties that you're hunting to know where you need to be when deer are just cruising and moving, you know, uh, picked up some great strategies from Bobby Worthington this year about that. And yeah, this was probably the first year in Illinois where I really um, took his advice, you know, not only on the location, but just sitting there and waiting them out Mm -hmm. and, and came so close a couple times. It was just, it was just a matter of, you know, wind direction, but I chased a bit. I've been chasing and still chasing a big deer in Illinois. Actually I've seen him twice, just, just outside of bow range. And, um, the only, and right underneath one of my other stands, I just couldn't get in it because of the wind. So, um, I've done that more this year than ever before, just kind of knowing where I need to be and just sticking it out, you know, and the only, factor that changed that was wind direction for me so yep still gotta yep. play the wind. He he's he's good at that you know that's his his focus is is rut you know he wants to shoot a buck that's that's all rutted up big necked um and he wants to hunt that end of october to thanksgiving time frame and he doesn't care about early season i think he'll still do some late season stuff but that's his deal. And he, he's been doing it for a long, 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 long time. Yep. You've been successful at it. That's for sure. For sure. Uh, let's see. Access. Are you a door knocker or a phone caller? Or is there another tactic to get lease or permission 
access what has worked best for you? Like, have you actually gone up to dudes' doors and knocked on them? Like, like that seems to be a buzz right now, or or do you try to get somebody on the phone or find a, a different route? To be honest, I have not had to do that very much the last four or five years, just because I've had my proven places that I've hunted and having, you know, my own farm now for the last five years, I haven't, but, um, you know, the, the lease that you and I, you know, kind of share down South, don't know what's going to happen with that this next year. And I kind of feel like I need to, or I want to transition more to stuff closer to home. And I'd like to be able to pick up a few more farms to have, you know, some options here close by. So something that's actually been thinking a lot about, you know, from a landowner's perspective is the best way to get into these spots. I mean, I don't think it's a one size fits all. I think every situation is probably a little different, you know, the best places obviously are probably the places where people haven't allowed hunting because, you know, they're wealthier people. They don't need the money and they don't want to deal with the headache of, you know, people on their property, but way the economy's been lately, you know, people might be looking for ways to, you know, cover their property taxes. So you're, I think you're probably dealing with, you know, uh, a different type of person that maybe, Money might influence them. Money might not influence them. And how do you how do you get a person to allow you to hunt their farm if you know they're not really interested in in you know the money from a lease? And I I think what I'm going to be trying here soon is you know when I figure out the people that I want to go after is probably starting with a a letter, you know, a personalized letter, and. Um, just mail it to them locally, letting them know I'm a local guy, you know, here in the same town and give them a little bit of history on myself. And, you know, maybe if they want to, you know, go online and kind of look at, at, you know, what I'm doing just to see that it's legitimate, but man, it's, that's the toughest part of it anymore is being able to get access to good property. And it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some different strategies, just like hunting big deer. I mean, it's not a one size fits all. So I really don't know, but I mean, that's, I think that's what I'm going to try. And I, I definitely think out of season, you know, showing up somebody, somebody's property right before hunting season is not the time to do it. No. Nope. I think, you know, January, February, March, reaching out to them with a letter, maybe following up with a letter and then maybe stopping by, you know, to try to meet them in person, you know? Yeah. Cause then you've got kind of an icebreaker, you know, Hey, I mailed, I mailed you a letter a couple months ago, <laughs> just kind of following up with it. So you're not kind of going in cold. So that's kind of, I think that's going to be my approach this year with a few pieces. Yep. Well, that's good. Yeah, the letter is something out of the box. You know, you hear about guys calling all the time and, and, and guys actually running around and knocking on doors. And and um, the letter is is definitely – I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think the last time I got a handwritten letter from somebody. I, I don't – man, I can't remember. I, I don't, I don't if, know. 
if you think about it, man, we all get junk mail, but when you get a you get a letter that's handwritten, you know the 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 address and the return address on it is handwritten, and if it happens to be from somebody that's a neighbor of yours, you know, close by, I mean, I'm definitely opening that to see what the hell that's all about. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's a check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe get a, one of those envelopes with the window and put a fake check in the front of it. Yeah, or just mail them a blank check, Hayes, and just put on there, whatever you think this property is worth, here's the check. <laughs> fill just it out. out the amount. <laughs> that right there might be the golden ticket. That might yeah. be, but I would have it hooked up to Shannon's account or Natalie's account before I would have it hooked up to mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you might be onto something there. Yeah, that's a Send really them a blank check. Ooh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving right along. All right. Yep. Here, we, th This may kind of parlay with what we just talked about, but, you know, <clears throat> you got over a little over a month, I guess, left of hunting season. As soon as the season's over, the hunting season, obviously, we, we're working at this all year long. But what what do you start doing? as soon as the actual physical deer season is over, what's your, what's your, what do you start doing then? Yeah. The last few years, it's, I think it's been really important to keep, you know, keep the food available for the deer, you know, cause I want the bucks on my farm and the places that I'm hunting to come into the ant season antler growth season in as best shape as possible. So I maintain my feeding programs, you know, even though season's over with, that's at the top of the list, you know, get the minerals out um, so that they can start hitting that stuff as soon as possible. Shed hunting, obviously, to see what has survived. And it's such a great time to get in the woods and take a look at everything to see what you might've missed. Cause even though I do a lot of scouting during season, there's some places that I don't go into, you know, that you don't yep. want to mess with them bump deer out of and i mean as soon as season's over with i'm you know i'm gonna make a trip to illinois i'm gonna uh hopefully have some properties new properties here at home to look at but i really want to spend some time in the woods looking at everything that time of the year see where the you know the signs at you know do some shed hunting and just you know it's it's uh it's um an open book that time of the year, man, you can see everything that happened, what was going on, what the deer were doing. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my list of to do for end of season. Yep. That sounds good. All right. <clears throat> this is kind of getting off topic a little bit. Biggest mistake guys make hunting a particular buck thereafter. What do you see as the biggest mistake you make or guys make make that you talk to when they're hunting one particular deer? Man, I've always said I think the hardest part of hunting mature deer is actually not hunting them until things are lined up and you got the deck stacked in your favor. Just I think most guys overhunt their deer. Mm -hmm. You know? We pressure them too much and they end up, you know, I think the deer end up picking up on a little something here or there and end up patterning you. But, um, you know, my, my whole 
tactic, if if that's what you want to call it, over the last 20 or 30 years has been, you know, finding a big deer, figuring out the best place to kill him through scouting, finding that weak spot where I know I can get within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage, and then waiting until I have multiple factors lining up that are going to increase the chances of that deer moving during daylight before I'll go in. I mean, there's no sense in going through all this work and then diving in before everything's lined up because every time you go in and you don't get it done, the game just keeps getting tougher and tougher. You know, so my ultimate goal is to try to kill that buck the first time I go in and, you know, of all the deer I've killed, you know, the majority of them were killed the first time I hunted them because, you know, I don't go in and blow that area up. I wait for everything to line up, you know, and I'm talking about the wind, the moon, and the weather. Mm-hmm. You know? And normally in that order, I know a lot of guys are going to say, man, you're nuts. The weather is the most important thing. And sometimes it is, you know, sometimes the weather is, is the key, but I've killed a lot of big deer when the weather wasn't perfect. You yeah, know? well, that last it 200 was, you killed, it was 75 degrees. Yeah, it was freaking almost 80 degrees out first week of November in Kansas. And no reason for that buck to be up moving two hours before, you know, dark. And that's not the only deer that I've killed or seen moving when conditions weren't right. You know, the biggest deer I killed in Ohio, you know, that deer... Uh, the first time I laid eyes on him, I didn't kill him that night, but, you know, we had like 40 mile an hour winds that night. Nothing was moving. And I basically went out and got up in a tree in the middle of this field, just mainly for observation. And right at dusk, this buck comes hauling ass out of this thicket, runs right out into the middle of the field and starts feeding. He knew it wasn't safe, you know, around the edges where, you know, there might be hunting pressure, so he just came busting ass out of the thicket, ran out into the middle of the field where he could see, you know, for 200 yards, 360 degrees, and then started feeding. I'll be dang. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen big deer move way too much when weather wasn't perfect. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I think it's all about, you know, multi, like I said, multiple factors when you can get the good wind for the buck you're hunting so he's comfortable to move you get you know the the right moon red moon with that you know gravitational pull give him an extra nudge to move a little bit earlier then you throw a good weather pattern on top of that you know it's just stacking the deck sure. any three any of those factors can get a deer up and moving but i think it's when you start combining good wind, good moon, good weather, you know, you get two or three of those on the same night. That's the perfect storm for killing a big deer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. All right. Uh, let's see. All right. We got a couple more, got three more. Any lessons you have learned this season or anything that, that you've kind of picked on to add to your, your trick bag? Uh, uh, one lesson I did learn is not to leave the Midwest the last week of October, first week of November. <laughs> uh, I was in Alberta. I was in Alberta for those 10 days and never saw an antler from the tree. And, you know, every single one of my cameras back here at home and Illinois blowing up, 
big deer running everywhere. All the bucks, you know, that I've been watching all year are breaking daylight and just, you know what, that, that, that two week period is probably the best time to be in the Midwest had no business being up in Alberta, you know, need to be up there early or late, but not at prime time in the Midwest. Yep. So. Yeah, I would say, I know this is an Adam Hayes question, but I would say the the thing that I picked up, and I swear we talk about this guy on every single podcast we do, is, is the Bobby Worthington funnel. You know, the buck that I killed in Kentucky was in a super tight funnel. The buck I killed in Kansas actually moved from where I was hunting to, have you ever walked that, uh, he calls it the, the salt it's on soldier it's called the salt hole is that what it's called the salt hole anyway it's one of those soldier pieces <laughs> and um basically there was nobody it was 1200 acres you know it's broken up there's 300 here 200 there it's broken up into different parcels and he said you know nobody's hunting over there if you're not if you're not getting any day any daylight pictures or nothing's happening where you're hunting go over and walk that piece. And man, I walked in there and there was a big bluff, a big uh, creek that ran through the back of it, incredible access. And you popped up out of that creek and it was just a funnel between a big field edge. And it looked like Freddy Krueger had been through there ripping up cedar trees and scrapes every five feet. And it was all in that pinch. And I was like, I'm, I'm moving here tomorrow. So we, we went in there the next afternoon and, and got hung. But again, um, you know, and my plan was to rot right there. We, as long as we had a north wind blowing off that bluff, I was going to sneak in on the on the river side or the creek side and pop up in that funnel and just stay right there. Um, and and so that for me that that was the lesson. You know, I used to bounce around a lot during the rut. You know, bounce and bounce and bounce and look for fresh sign. But but this year opened my eyes to 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 sitting in that spot that you know the long range travel corridor that they got to be pinched down and come through so so that for me that was the the big takeaway this year I mean heck I'm I'm 48 years old and been doing this since since I was 15 basically since I could drive and it's amazing if you'll keep an open mind and and kind of check the ego a little bit when you're around I'll call Bobby an old timer but but you know guys that have been doing this for for longer than me and you have and and been really successful at it you can pick up some stuff yeah yeah and you can learn stuff from from younger guys too i mean i think that's probably the the key to the whole thing is you you've got to keep an open mind no matter no matter what it is cuz you never know when you might pick up a little piece to the puzzle that can help you in a certain situation but i mean you know the more knowledge you can gather the better I think the better hunter is going to make you. And it might, might be something that you don't use for a few years, you know, but um, yeah, once you kind of think, you know, it all, <laughs> and there's yeah. nothing else you need to learn and you got it all figured out. Yeah. That's when you get your butt handed to you. That's the kiss of death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 you, you, you're right. The younger guys too. It, it seems like every time I hear about somebody killing a big deer, I want to know down to the nth degree how it went down. How'd you do it? Where'd you find him? You know, some of it's luck. Oh, heck, I didn't even know he was there. He came strolling through there, and I was in my 
climber and you know i just climbed up 20 minutes before and he walked right by me and i shot him okay well you know th there could be something to pick up there but <clears throat> a guy that kills a big deer on purpose i want to hear all the from a to z how he did it yep exactly yep never know when you might pick up that little pearl that's know? it all right uh last two mr hayes Anything new coming with the moon guide? I saw your social media post um, with the Osseo gift card about anybody that uh, had ideas um, on, on the moon guide app of what may make it better or what they'd like to see. But uh, any updates there, anything new going on or that you can disclose for 2024? Yeah, I, um, I spent a couple hours last night going through emails. I was surprised how many emails I got in response to that question. And it was kind of interesting, some of the stuff I got, but the two keys, um, I think that I read the two things I read more than anything else was guys wanted to see extended forecasts beyond three days, which I didn't realize was, um, that important. But then I started thinking about it, you know, I'm always, you know, looking at the weather beyond three days, because like I said, you know, the next three days around home is going to be crap, you know, with east winds and warm temperatures. But out at five and six days, I know that there's, a, you know, serious cold front coming in after some wind and rain. So that was something that I, I really, really had never dawned on me before, you know, how important it is. So going to look at doing more um, than a three-day extended forecast. And then the number one topic that guys wanted to see was they want alerts sent to their phone. They want to know when the red moon is coming up. They want to know what the um, barometric pressure, you know, is going to be like in the wind, you know, and, and when everything's, you know, coming up where, you know, it's going to be prime, you know, yeah. to hunt, they would like an alert for it. And we'd actually already been talking about doing that. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if we go by everybody's zip code and we already have the moon information, you know, we know when it's going to be good, when it's going to be your best morning hunts, your best evening hunts, you know, the, the days when it's going to be best in November to sit all day or maybe hunt that window from 10 to 2 midday you know when things are going to be happening midday and then the other factors you know the wind direction um and the uh barometer or really any weather pattern that's going to increase deer activity if you got a cold front if you got barometric pressure that's rising you know up, up 29 30 points you know things that are really going to increase activity and be able to give, an, give a guy an alert two or three days prior and say, look, you know, everything's lining up here for next Monday. You know, you really need to be thinking about getting out there and getting in your A spot because um, things are lining up, man, and things should be moving. So that, we're, gonna, we're in the process of creating that right now. That sparked <clears throat> something. I wonder if there would be a way that that a guy could kind of put in or log in some information that like like okay he he needs his spot he needs a a west wind to to hunt his spot 
And so that goes into his alert profile. And then when he's got that rising barometer, the red moon, the drop in temperatures, and that west wind for him, it's like, this is your platinum day, brother. You know, you you, you know you got to have a west wind and you got one coming with everything else lined in there. I don't know how hard that would be. but that, um, that might be a cool way to do it. So you have a list of things, you know, I want – I want whenever I get a, you know, a red moon for the evenings with a northwest wind and the barometer is above 29 points or the temperature is going to be dropping, you know, more than 10 degrees, whatever, whatever the criteria that I'm looking for. And I check those boxes whenever that's getting ready to happen in the next four to five days, I get an alert. Yeah, that that yeah, that would be. Yeah. That'd be really, and because guys, a lot of guys know what they want. You you know, you could have a a general one, you know, mm-hmm. for 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 guys that you know don't know exactly what they need, and then you could have it real specific to where, hey, I know this is what I need. This is what the deer like to move around here when the temperature is five degrees below normal, and and so on, and then you know, bam, they get their alert. Yep, that would be that'd be pretty slick. Yeah. Call yeah. that the miles, the miles app section of the uh, moon dial. I like it. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. The the Osseo alert. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it could the owl could fly up there first. Yeah. It's brought to you by. Mm-hmm. And then it could boom. It could go. That could be the alert instead of a bell. It could be the owl. The owl. Yeah. <laughs> All right great idea last question old boy i wish i could make that sound which sound that owl call oh i can't either there's guys that can do it i got turkey hunting buddies that man they call with their mouths it's incredible all right last one what's your show schedule looking like this off season you going to any working guys come and see you or visit you or talk to you what you got cooking uh, the big thing um, for me this winter, late winter, is going to be the Harrisburg show. Harrisburg. Yeah, I'll be over there with uh, same same building with you guys. Um, yeah, I, I got a feeling since I'm going to be doing that show on my own, that's probably going to be the the only one I'll be doing because I'll probably be ready to throw in the towel after nine days working that show by myself, but. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been over there, um, but I'm going to do that, and we'll see what else pops up. I mean, you guys are probably going to be coming to Columbus, right? Yep, we'll be in Columbus. We got 19 this year. 19. 19 shows. Yeah, wow. we're going to be all over. Rendell, uh, Eric's going to be show manager this year, so and, and I'm going to go to as many of them as I can. I'll be in Harrisburg for the first uh, first part, and then I've got to come home for an event. Um, I'll be there for the, at least the first five days in Harrisburg, but then uh, going to Iowa Deer Classic, we'll be in Columbus, Indiana, as many of them as I can get to. You ought to have Rendell get a hold of me so that um, you can get on the schedule for the Columbus show. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's already got it booked. No, I mean for uh, with me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I will. I'll I, get. To, I can I'll spend get some time in the booth. Yep. I'll get him to reach out to you. So guys can come check you out at Harrisburg and then definitely Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Cool. 
All right, man. Well, I know you got a lot going on, including going to kill that big deer. So uh, have a good afternoon. Keep us posted. And uh, man, I, as always, thank you for coming on. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the invite.